Welcome in the somewhat mobile. When we drop data, it's not anecdotal. Talking the latest mobile trends with highlighting the surges and descends. Yeah, this is an original series from Aptopia. The intelligence provider here to help focus you. I'm growing your mobile app and putting you on the map. So when people pull out their phone, it's the first thing they want to tell. So crack yourself a beer and give a listen here because the best podcast and mobile just landed in your ear. Welcome into Somewhat Mobile, the show mobile app teams put on when they need to hear someone else's voice besides their manager. Today, joining me is Jonathan Kay, and I'm just looking at the notes your uh, PR person gave me. It says here you're my boss. Is that accurate? Uh, not technically, no. Oh, okay. Well, Jonathan Kay is the founder and CEO of Aptopia, um, and we'll start this episode like we start in all episodes, uh, trying to get to know the guest here. So who are you? How'd you get to Aptopia, and, and what do you do here besides not being my boss? Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you, you'd be shocked, even as the CEO of the company, I had to pull a bunch of strings to get invited to the podcast. So, you know, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO at Aptopia. I've been here for 11 years and I'm generally leading daily operations of the company, strategic vision, um, and uh, uh, product <laughs> as all good CEOs. Big, big question up front here. We're at a time where the economy feels unpredictable. The cost of, and I've noticed this in my own shopping, consumer staples like my eggs and my cheese, they've gone up. And so when this happens, you know, from looking at the data over the years, we know industries, market shares, they can have serious shakeups because consumer behavior changes. Um, and in response, company behavior also going to change. Uh, and so a lot of companies, brands lately have been reacting by either pulling back on advertising or laying off their employees. And so when times are good, it feels like it's a rising tide floating all boats. You know, the playing field is a little more even and there are less critical decisions to be made, not necessarily like right now. And so I say all that to ask you, what is important in uncertain times like these? And, you know, how much of a, sh of a focus, if at all, should be put on first party data? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll speak to what I know, which is uh, our own business. And in times of uncertainty like this, while it is unrelated to the omelets that you seem to be making in the morning, which are now more expensive omelets than they were before, it's all about focus is the short answer, which has the, I don't know, the concern of potentially being cliche. But the bottom line is, is that um, in times of uncertainty, you either have less capital or you're willing to risk less capital. And they kind of have the same effect. It doesn't actually matter which situation you're in. But bets cost money, right? Everybody's making bets. All businesses are making bets. And so the bottom line is, is that in times of uncertainty, you can or you should be making less bets than you are on a normal year where money and access to capital is easier, et cetera. And so if you're going to make best, less bets, you better be sure the ones you place are good ones, right? Um, and so oftentimes, probably the most... <laughs> common thing in, in, in 2022, 2023 is uh, you got to use data to increase your confidence, right? The more data you have, the higher the likelihood that you make the right decision. Even data doesn't guarantee you make the right decision, but it, it at least is, can help you make sure that you're not fishing in a pond with no fish, right? And so I think your question about first-party data is a really, really good one. And I think analyzing first-party data, it's honestly, Adam, it's table stakes, right? Like, you kind of have to be looking into your data. You have to be analyzing your data. I just think the reality is, is that 
your data will lack meaning without context. And so there is an actual ceiling, there is an actual cap on the amount of value you can extract from your own data set um, without the context of what's happening around you. And that's where competitive intelligence starts to come in. Right. Back in the early days, like six years ago, sometimes I would send out data to a reporter. I'd be like, hey, it's really interesting. This this company's doing this uh, and they have this many downloads. And I learned pretty quickly that it did, it did not matter without context. I would always, a good reporter would always get back to me and ask, cool, but what is that good? <laughs> like, what about, uh, what about their competitors? How, what have you seen in the past? And so now, you know, everything we do is, is, is based in that is, is providing context. And so I hear you on that. And so how, like, if I'm a brand, where do I start? How can I get started in, in understanding that? that context or bringing in that context. Yeah. So there's a, there's a a few places to start. Honestly, benchmarking is the right first place to start, which is to say, Hey, like I, I work at a restaurant or food company, right? We all know that digital ordering was up during COVID, but how much, (laughs) right? Because maybe being up 175% sounds and feels really good to you. But if everybody else was up 215%, being up 175% is actually a miss. And so um, people who are just starting with competitive intelligence, I typically suggest just starting with basic benchmarks. And there's two categories of those. The first category would be um, your direct competitors. So I would come up with a list of five, six, seven at most direct competitors and see where you stack rank versus those competitors. Typically, we're looking at a relative basis. What's your market share? How does that look this year versus last year? Just as a a, a very, very basic starting example. My second suggestion is that in addition to looking at at your five to seven, like very direct competitors, I would build a set of like larger set of competitors, maybe 10, 15, 20, uh, that looks a little bit wider into that industry. And what I would do is is I would then sum all of those up into an index. And so put differently, Adam, my suggestion is start to benchmark your market share and the change in market share for your direct competitors. Step one. Step two, build a larger set of uh, an understanding of what your industry is and actually use that aggregate as a benchmark, right? So like, for instance, we, you know, you can find a bunch of analysis from Aptopia about how Dunkin' Donuts outperformed the QSR industry. The QSR industry was one kind of aggregated metric across a larger competitive set. Right. And so um, find micro movements on your hyper-focused competitors, but then look at the larger macro ecosystem and see how much that has lifted up. Yeah. And I've I've heard you talk before. I think this is kind of where, where you're going with like monitoring your competitors. You know, a lot of times it's better to be a fast follower and some of the biggest companies like Apple are. And it's, it's so funny that I happened to see this, this tweet last night from uh, Nikita Bear. He is an independent developer. Uh, he did the, the gas app. I don't, you, you know, John, you might not have heard of these. You're, you're a little older, but the, the gas app <laughs> and the, uh, the TBH app, which are, which are like folks, <laughs> folks, this is Adam's last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but he said, he said on a long enough timeline, the entire tech industry is just satellite research labs for Apple. We're all just building temporary products that will eventually be shut down or integrated as features 
if they're of any value. Now, it's a little nihilistic, but like he's essentially saying one of the biggest and best companies in the world, they watch. They watch the industry, they see what's going, and then they make their decision. And it feels like that's probably a good move to be doing right now, talking about taking more uh, strategic swings. Yeah, I would I would hate a world where all good ideas are eaten up and destroyed. But um, <clears throat> I do deeply agree with the sentiment, which is that the cost-benefit analysis for being innovative and first sometimes just isn't there. Um, it's often the people that do it second or third or do it best um, that end up winning, not first. All right. So all right, we talked about analyzing um, competitors, learning from their mistakes, learning from their successes. But uh, and you you, you kind of maybe alluded to this a little bit by talking about broadening the market, but you, you can analyze your competitors. You can also analyze consumer behavioral trends, you know, understanding uh, shifting consumer spend, interest, things like that. How can that help a brand inform what they should be doing with their business? How can companies leverage that data? Yeah, you, you're right. I did broadly hit on it. But what I would just emphasize is, is a few things. And I can even give you an example but uh, I, I think you just need to expand outside of your core competitor set. And so we, me and you have talked about this a lot, but um, I, I, think, <laughs> I think the gentleman running uh, HBO at the time essentially said that he was more scared of Fortnite than Netflix. <laughs> right. And, and it's, it, it, it was a, you know, a good soundbite, but like, it actually meant a lot to me, which is that Dude, it's it's time. It's just how people spend their time and where they spend their time. At the end of the day, like if I go and cook a meal for myself versus ordering out, then it wasn't like another restaurant that was the competitor to that time or me spending that money at Chipotle or whatever restaurant it is. It was the other available options that I have. And so it's just kind of a long-winded way of saying. Uh, health and fitness apps that are uh, trying to sell you on fitness subscriptions, they can learn from streaming companies who can learn from dating companies that all have the same model. At the end of the day, they're different content areas, they're different apps with different value props. But the game theory, the mechanics, the way consumers behave is very, very similar. And again, this does have the the fear of being a little bit um, cliche, but like more data is always better, <laughs> like almost always better, right? Like the larger sample size, the more examples you have, even more confident you can be in the decisions you're making. And so, you know, if you're 7-Eleven, you may have four direct competitors, but like CBS <laughs> is not right. maybe a direct competitor, but like it's a it's an available option and like, you and I both live in highly populated areas where like there may be a gas station or a supermarket or something else that's right next to the 7-Eleven that's right. just as easy to go to. And so um, the broader you can think, and, and again, this was hitting on your idea of consumer behavior, which is look at competitors that might not do exactly what you do, but might have components that are similar to what you do. And there's a lot you can learn from from them as well. Right, right. Uh, I was also thinking about partnerships. And if you know that, you know, you understand your your demographics and then you realize another brand that's non-competitive has similar demographics, there could be some crossover partnership there just to um, hopefully widen your your customer base. Yeah. So, I would, I, I, so, sorry to cut you off, um, but uh, it, it, it is your last podcast. So I figured, <laughs> why, why, why not go out with a bang? The bottom line is, is that... Um, 
you're kind of starting to talk about audience level insights to some degree. Um, and, and I think audience insights are fascinating and, and I'll just give you a, a, a super, super arbitrary example. Yeah. But one of the spaces that, um, you and I have been tracking a lot since the pandemic is this idea of buy now, pay later, which are these like, they're almost like micro credit loans, right? Like if you want to buy really expensive Jimmy Choo shoes and you can't afford it, uh, you know, for just $40 a month, you can buy those shoes. And by the way, for some reason, it's normalized when we buy our, you know, $3,000 phones, but, uh, you know, fancy shoes and other items, you, you know, you kind of have to work with these companies. And some of the ones you might have heard of is um, Affirm, Afterpay, Klarna. These are like some of the well-known buy now, pay later apps. And we were looking at um, advertising intelligence. So we were just looking at ads that they're showing and the content of what they're actually advertising in their ad creative. And one interesting trend that we saw is that uh, Affirm was hyper-focused on the fact that you can use this concept of buy now, pay later for travel. So if you have to go home for the holidays and the flight's super expensive, or maybe you want to book a, a couple's uh, a retreat at a Sandals Resort uh, the week after uh, Christmas and it's super expensive, right. uh, you can use a firm to actually pay for that over time. And it's super interesting because travel is, is, is up big time right now. You can see that in the news. It's seasonal. It's in the app data, et cetera. Right. Um, but the reality is, is that it seems like people resonated with that message less well than gifts or physical goods because Klarna and Afterpay were running similar amount of ads, but their ad creators were hyper-focused on like physical goods. Like what's the gift you want to get? What's the item you want to get? Um, and those ads were actually performing better than those that were focused on travel. And so, well, does it like, does one matter over the other? I don't, I, I, I don't know. But my point is, is that the audience that these people are targeting happen to resonate with one over right. the other. And you can learn from that and adjust your advertising to focus on the thing that these companies have already spent or wasted their money to, to learn. Yeah. And, you know, that just made me think about, I was thinking like, what, you know, why is that? Like, what would I, what would I use a buy now pay later for? What would I use it for travel? And it just made me think that the travel industry and credit card companies, um, by the way, which are competitive essentially with buy now, pay later, they're like really good at getting you to want to engage in the points game. And, you know, if so, so there, I'm, I say this to say there's like, there's a lot of incentive actually for people to book either direct or book with a certain credit card or some loyalty program that they already have for travel where they already have a shit ton of points. And so, you know, maybe that was an attempt to, to break into that a little bit from the buy now, pay laters, but that's, um, I think that 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 is a tough poll for them. I, I I can see that. Okay, there's you you've been talking. It's been wonderful, and there's so much information and insights that are able and data that we can glean from competitive intelligence from first party data. How do we combat like that information overload? Like, how does one deal with that? Like, I you know, there's just a lot of data coming at you, and I want to try and make it. Uh, approachable for for any brands who are listening who might be less data compiling savvy, if that's a awful phrase that I can use. No, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> good way to good good sign off. N no, um, there's a lot of data, and like we we joke about it on this call, but I believe Adam has been working here for over five years. 
I've been here for 11 years and it is still fucking overwhelming amount of data, even for us. And we are just in the mobile competitive intelligence landscape, right? Like we, we, we don't even address all of a brand's competitive intelligence needs, right? And so um, there's a lot of data. It's rightfully overwhelming. Uh, the, the, the answer is you have to start with a thesis. You have to start with a question, right? And so take one question. Maybe your question is, why is my competitor getting more downloads than me? Or why is their user acquisition strategy working better than mine? Or why are they growing in Latin America faster than me? It doesn't matter what the question is. Almost certainly the question is going to come out of your first party data, right? So you'll have a question in your first party data you can't completely answer. You'll go to third party data. You'll go to competitive intelligence source to try and get that answer. But in order to not be overwhelmed, just stay focused on that one question. Now, you may pull a lot of data to get like a complete full uh, view, meaning like you might come at the question from a bunch of different perspectives, but just take it one question at a time, right? And so I'll give you a perfect example. So Adam, um, you, you and I were talking about, I think, makeup. Oh, yeah, as last, we do. Last week. Yeah, it's a, it's a, common, it's a common discussion for us. And you know, I, I, my loyalty lie with Ulta Beauty You've always kind of been a Sephora guy. That's right. Um, and and when we were when we were beating up the data and kind of looking through the data, um, one of the questions we were asking is that, like Sephora is a pretty well known brand name, and like we thought it was pretty odd that for literally the last three years in a row, Ulta Beauty, at least from a mobile from a digital perspective, had been getting meaningfully more downloads every month than Sephora. Now, is that because their brand actually does better than Sephora? Is it because they have a more savvy audience? One prioritizes it. Like, don't don't know. Uh, but one interesting thing is that um, it definitely seemed like Ulta Beauty was taking a different strategy to how they were running their user acquisition campaigns than Sephora. And it seems like Sephora, to their credit, like started to invest into competitive intelligence and started to fast follow a little bit. And so um, if, if you actually were to look at the data, um, you'll notice that two things primarily happened. One, uh, essentially Ulta Beauty had been having a lot of sec success with DoubleClick, which is uh, one of Google's primary ad networks. And that one of the things that DoubleClick was doing is they were showing um, ads for Ulta Beauty inside language learning apps like Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, et cetera. Um, and so Sephora, who had been advertising, but not been advertising on DoubleClick, in October started to uh, essentially advertise on DoubleClick. DoubleClick, to give their algorithm credit, realized the correlation between successful ads shown to people who are interested in language learning and people that are interested in makeup and um, started to show Sephora's app inside those same apps and Sephora's downloads kind of skyrocketed <laughs> literally just since they started to fast follow what Ulta Beauty right. had been doing for three years. And now you're actually seeing Sephora's downloads uh, month over month beating Ulta Beauty between 25 and 40% month over month from a, new from a new user acquisition perspective. And so we sit here and say, holy smokes, that's amazing. But the reality is, is that what the heck have they been doing for the last three years, right? Like <laughs> what was the actual opportunity cost in missed users acquired or missed revenue as a result of not fast following faster? Right. We'll have to, uh, 
we'll have to get that out in a in a marketing uh, campaign directly directly to Sephora or or Ulta Beauty, one of them, both <laughs> of them. Okay, let's let's like um, peer into your brain a little bit. See see if you got any. Um, see if you can be a like a good magic eight ball for the audience. So, what do you think are some industries where you expect there to be? Or, or that have like the highest chance of, you know, market share uh, changes given the either current or impending, you know, economic un- uncertainty. Yeah. So like my obvious answer is travel. And, uh, you know, I-, I-, I am a lot of things and I- I'm sure you have a list of both good and, and bad, but um, a- economist is probably not my number one, but I do think that typically you see large changes in market share come out of um, uh, markets with low user satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so if people are happy, like they don't change their behavior. Like my wife and I are on our second Honda CRV, not because it's the greatest car in the world, but because like we had no complaints about our first one. <laughs> like, so like it just wasn't an area that we needed change. Right. And so if you're going to a restaurant and you're happy with the food, like, It's just not going to be on the top of your priority list. And so it's my long-winded way of saying, I actually think you're going to see some shakeup in travel. Um, Even something as simple as like JetBlue going theoretically from one of the highest highest regarded airlines to middle of the pack. I mean, I don't know, like I don't have the data in front of me, but there's so much unrest and unsatisfaction in travel, not just normal, but like above and beyond what, what, what you would normally expect to see. Right. right. Like people always complain, but it's at completely heightened levels. And usually that follows with some change. Someone will come out with a new strategy. Someone will come out with a new approach and people will be looking for something new. Right. Yeah. They're ready. Um, you, you even see it in our, po- like our politics. Right. And like, we won't go, we won't open that can of worms, but like uh, when there is dissatisfaction, there's change. And so I would start to look at what industries you're having, like the lowest user sentiment, the most complaints, something that's above and beyond what you'd normally see. Um, and that's where you can start to expect change to come. So yeah. my vote would go for travel. Okay. What, yeah. what, what, what about what about you? Well, I'm just excited for our next podcast, if there is one, where we get yeah. to just where we just talk about religion and politics. No. I see. Um, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so I was thinking grocery. Um, I'm I happen to live in an area where I actually have, I, and this is kind of wild to me, actually. Um, there's like four different grocery stores around me. I don't know why. I happen to go to the one that's closest right now. It's definitely not the cheapest, but the the one that's less expensive isn't too far away. And so, like I said, I was looking at my receipt and just like, it might just be out of a pricing war situation where, and we've seen it, you know, fast food has, has really risen lately. People are kind of rotating in it into their diet more. I imagine, especially people with families, but just because it's cheaper. And again, the, the price of food uh, has been going up. The price of staples have been going up. So I think, um, you know, if you can provide like a really good uh, mobile couponing service or something like that uh, within, within the app, and provide lower prices, you could probably grab market share right now. Yeah, it's so funny. Like this, this may be an unpopular opinion, but um, like I, I don't know that it's a price war. Mm. <laughs> like I, I think that at the end of the day, there is something that drives action for those consumers. Maybe it's price for some grocery stores, but for others, like take Trader Joe's just as an example. 
and again, I don't know where people are listening in, but like Trader Joe's has not the cheapest prices. It is in maybe the mid to lower quadrant. For so certain it's not- items though, they do. They're good. I like Trader no, Joe's. No, I love, no, I like Trader Joe's <laughs> as well. But my point is, is that there are things available at Trader Joe's that are not available anywhere else. Right. Right. And so the reality is, is that while they do have lower prices, which is maybe why people don't go looking elsewhere, they are not the cheapest price, mm-hmm. but they have some level of exclusivity. They have some concept of something that's unique about Trader Joe's that once you get hooked on that sauce, you stay yeah, there, right? It's great sauce. Um, the Trader Joe's sauce is the good sauce, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, like it's a little bit of a culture community, right? Um, and and like not, not to be, uh, you know, just like rambling through examples here, but I think we've seen similar things in other industries. And so- you and I do a lot of work on the QSR space and um, we've seen this concept of like offering free food for downloads, Mm -hmm. right? Which was kind of a phenomenal model because the cost per install started to increase more than the rate of actually producing the fast food items. And so like some absolute just trendsetter and genius at one of these companies was like, well, we could give away like 50 burgers at McDonald's for the cost of one uh, install campaign, right? And so um, all, all playfulness aside, like it's become a very popular way that now you've seen all the small to mid-size QSR companies start to utilize just free food for your first download. And um, I, I don't remember the exact example we were talking about, but I think we were talking about Jack in the Box and, and Moe's Mexican Grill. And these guys had uh, campaigns that they did earlier this year, and their downloads increased 400% and 300% respectively. But they actually ended up with less daily users than they did before the campaign, right? Which is to go to show it's a whole bunch of hoopla, a bunch of money and distraction to not actually result in having more users, right? It was a hit and run by by the, the people who got the free food. For sure, for sure. Um, and you you start to see the more seasoned players uh, latch on to a little bit of this Trader Joe's sauce, right? And so, like I think both you and I think pretty highly of Taco Bell, at least from a, a marketing perspective. Yo, yo, um, and and <laughs> uh, when they released their Mexican pizza, it wasn't that they were offering you like a discounted pizza. It's that if you downloaded their app, or I, I believe if you were part of their rewards program, right. um, they actually allowed you to purchase the pizza earlier than other people. Two two days so you, before, yeah. So you may be in a Taco Bell. You may see someone purchase the pizza. You are not a rewards customer. You're not able to purchase the pizza. And on the surface, you might think, hey, Taco Bell, what the heck? Like someone's in the store. They want to spend money with you and you're stopping them. But no, it created a little bit of exclusivity, created a little bit of a game. It made it a little bit more fun. Like there was some value in being part of this program versus just a a user acquisition cost to get them in. And so uh, I I, I think, again, it's the message should not be it's just a cost battle. I think it's it's just clever. It's about understanding your users and uh, bringing them in a little bit closer to the fold based on what that specific audience is looking for. Right. You're trying to build a relationship. And so it can't just be so transactional. It's It's got to be something a little more long-term. And by the way, if it was so transactional, you wouldn't need competitive intelligence, right? Because just like, oh, give something for free, lower yeah. your prices. 
But no, right. the reality is, is that different audiences, different pockets of consumers, they're moved in different ways by different things. And somebody before you has probably figured that out. And it's your job to get access to data that helps you learn from that. All right. Do you have time to stick around and play our game? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Excellent. Yeah, you didn't really have a choice there. <laughs> what, else, what else do I have to do today? <laughs> probably nothing. Probably yeah. nothing. Um, okay. Our game is two apps and a lie. Frequent listeners already know how to play. Shout out to my mom. But uh, for you, I am going to read three apps. Uh, so they're names and descriptions. Two of the apps are real apps that you can download on the App Store. So keep your phone in your pocket. One of the apps I've completely made up. And so at the end, I'm going to ask you, which is the fake app? All right. Do you have any, do you have any of these apps on your phone currently? Um, none, none of these, no. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. App one is called Daily Disavowal. You've heard of daily affirmation apps, but you found those aren't those just aren't for you. Some people just need to be cut down a peg. Daily disavows send you daily push notifications at a time of your choosing, letting you know how much of a fail- failure you are and always will be. It's not about you, though. We'll also keep you in low spirits by sending you depressing pictures of the effects of climate change and facts about the American healthcare system. Easily share your daily disavow directly with friends or on social media. We'd ask you to download this app, but you're probably too dumb to figure it out. Okay. Um, our second great, app. Great marketing. <laughs> our second app is called Places I've Pooped. Um, Places I've Pooped allows you to document every place you've pooped. Easily add a location with the bombs away button after the deed has been done and go back anytime to see every place that you've gone. Features include share your location on Facebook, follow friends to see where they've pooped, see your friends' updates on the poop feed. You can also attach an image and rating to every location. All right. You you had to have me on the podcast just to find an excuse to appropriately talk about poop with your boss. This is... I this say. is the first for 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 it the took podcast. Us, it took us took us twenty five minutes to, to to get to that point, but for yeah. those still around, here we go. <laughs> listen, listen. This 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 um this game takes no prisoners. So, yeah. all right. The last app is called Carmatey. Carmatey is a fun app with a serious mission. What's the mission? To help you avoid parking tickets and to make sure you'll always remember uh, your way back to your car, campsite, or buried treasure. What makes it fun? It's pirate-themed. You're the captain, your car is a pirate ship, and you find your way back with the help of a magic compass. What can you do with Carmatey? <laughs> Save any location, get compass and map directions, set a parking timer, share location with friends, keep a travel log, make parking notes. Give us a try. We hope that you truly enjoy the experience and that you'll soon think of Carmatey as a car mate and much more. Yar. And thanks for checking us out. So. Holy shit. <laughs> John, do you think... That the fake app is A, daily disavowal, B, places I've pooped, or C, car matey. Uh, <laughs> super fun to say. I, I have to tell you, um, I thought it would be easier than it is. Dude, people uh, have been getting stumped on these. I, I'm fairly confident that the pooping app exists. Uh, and so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tentatively take that one off of the list just to share, yeah. just to share my um yeah, and here's the here's the other thing. Like from my experience with you know social networks like Instagram, like the self loathing is kind of a thing. Like, <laughs> um, and so I could kind of see how people would share like ridiculously like sarcastically negative things. Right. And so um, I'm saying the car matey is 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 the fake one, and you just want an excuse to act like a pirate. 
Oh man, I do love an excuse to act like a pirate, but that is incorrect. <laughs> Damn it. Um daily daily disavowal is is the fake app. That is the one we made up. Interesting. I, I wasn't sure if you, just because you shared it third, it, it it had to be the truth, but your description was so good. That's what I, got me. I try to, I, I try to vary whether it's A, B or C. Um, yeah, I should have asked them. you to spell the app name. That was a mistake. Okay. Well, <laughs> damn. All good. Well, well, well played. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, if we're ever allowed to record again, we will consider uh, having you on as a guest. All right. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki Vons and Sugar Dons can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus in the Vega and get lit, what? 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 Introducing Phantom of the Dark Walk through my heaven with levitation from reefers, drenching defense and each seven show bowling with rugas, flash vines, Bella Fonte Digger. Let's get for what this worth as we confiscate your figures. Yes, and over brown, levitating.